my name is Fong Legacy, and this is Zach King's Therapy. Today's episode, or well, before we go on, I must introduce my partner, Owen. Hello. So in this episode, we have another dandy of an episode. So I'm guessing that this is going to be a thing. We're just called dandies. Well, I'm going to keep on... (laughs) bring up some King's references into this, maybe in future episodes. But for now, today's episode uh, is about The Last Dance. And uh, let's see, me and Owen have watched pretty much, you know, first eight parts. But for this episode, we're <laughs> we're only going to be able to talk about episode seven and eight. Yeah, because there's just so much in between the you know each week is that basically we actually we're gonna do uh, episode five and six uh, as as well as seven and eight, but if we just we went through the our notes and it was just gonna take too long, so we're just gonna do seven and eight. Uh, we might do if we might do the other episodes at some point as bonus episodes because why not? Just kind of fun, but for now, uh, seven and eight. So yeah, so let's go ahead and start on episode 7. So in the beginning of the episode, we see that Jordan won the 93 finals. And it has a big part where um, James Jordan, his father, had just a big influential uh, part to Jordan's life. Sadly, he was murdered with a gunshot to the chest, dumped into the river, and went pretty much went missing. Uh, They found his car as well, and two 18-year-old men were charged. And this was a pretty big uh, pivotal point, pivotal point of uh, Jordan's life, because at this point, Jordan was debating if he should, you know, stick with basketball and switch to baseball. And uh, the media pretty much portrayed Jordan pretty badly because they blamed Jordan for the his father's murder due to gambling. So uh, he kind of put a bad taste in his mouth because uh, he was trying to transition to baseball, but uh, people were speculating that this uh, whole thing was due to uh, su- uh, suspension from the NBA due to gambling. Uh According to Jordan, he claims that uh, there were no more challenges for him in basketball and needed a breather, so he decided to pursue baseball, which was his like long life dream. Uh, the media, especially you know ESPN and uh, Sports Illustrated, kind of you know connect the dots to uh, some secret suspension that David Stern has put on Jordan uh, due to his gambling habits and father's murder. Uh, well, let's just start with, but boy, that is just disgusting. What the, what the media did, just putting the, his dad's death on Jordan was on Michael Jordan. That was it was just disgusting. Like the, the dude's dad just died, and you're gonna somehow victim blame it essentially. And you know, I, like as bad as I don't like media nowadays, I don't see like ESPN ever doing this kind of sh- this kind of bullshit. Like. And it's just like wow. It's of course we we were young when actually we weren't even born when when this when this happened. But like boy, I did not know the the media was so disgusting at that point. And I never really, of course, I didn't grow up 
while during Jordan's years. But you know, you, you always hear about the conspiracy theory of the secret suspension and kind of how that essentially like he would didn't really want to go play baseball and said it was a secret suspension. But that theory I always thought falls apart when you think about it, like just for five seconds. And like it's just you know, like it, it, I thought it was just kind of ugly. Uh, really showed the ugly side of the media, you know. And of course, mm. you know him leaving for baseball. It always was weird to me, but you know, my it was true. Like at that at that point, he had three peated, and like he had he was on like the top of the mountain, and there really wasn't that much for him. And you know, like thinking back, and of you know, like yeah, it's true. Like. So yeah, uh, let's see. So moving on. So during his baseball career, he uh, started off with uh, pretty much like a minor league team. Uh, sadly, I'm not too big into baseball to understand uh, some of this, but uh, uh, he started uh, playing with for the Birmingham Barons, a Double A baseball team. Uh, he was saying that baseball and basketball had a uh, different work ethics so uh, according to him jordan uh basketball was more of a shoulder and chest workout baseball i i forgot what he said or like it doesn't use as much like lower body yeah i don't remember the specifics either but mm -hmm. basically he had to get a lot stronger yeah and uh we have mentioned that uh jordan gained uh, a lot more weight he was 218 uh during his basketball years and he gained it up to 230 yeah and that that is you know 230 pounds of muscle it's not like he got fat or anything so oh no he he was a jacked guy beginning of the baseball season he had a pretty good hitting streak a 13 hitting streak but uh pitchers eventually kind of you know got the feel of his game and started uh throwing breaking balls which i i don't know what those are but apparently it kind of screwed him over and uh at this point the media gave him more crap about him uh especially sports illustrated uh sports illustrated gave more shit against jordan and baseball and uh say that he was pretty much a disgrace to baseball and the white Sox organization uh jordan never wanted to speak to sports illustrated again and claims that no one interviewed him for this article and they only did this to kind of critique him in a way because you know it's it's jordan's dream he wants to uh become a, you know a major league baseball player yeah and it's just kind of like and uh, even to this day he has still not spoken to sports illustrated about that but Basically, like the guy hadn't played baseball for what since he was like 17 or something, and like he was 31 at this point. And the mm -hmm. fact that he could actually make the the minor leagues was actually a pretty amazing thing. And you know, he had he had achieved all he could in basketball at basically at the time. And the fact that he you know tried out for a new sport and co almost completely changed his regimen and was actually pretty good at it like that's something to be like that's something to be admired but instead as i decide to go the other way and just crap on him for you know not being the goat of, of baseball like and you know and totally justify for him to not to never speak to uh si again again a media generally pretty gross it's uh 
Yeah, it's just like give the guy a break, man. Like again, hadn't played a damn sport in like 17 years. What? No, no, 14 years at that point. So like the fact that he was doing so good, like let's let's admire that. Pretty much, yeah, Jordan. At this point, he was he was still that big character. Uh, you have mentioned here that uh, a kid got out of his uh, car just to get MJ's autograph, pretty much stopping traffic. I mean, that's pretty surreal. Like, I imagine, I imagine there are people that would do that for LeBron nowadays. But like, it's just wow. You, he like the yeah, the kid literally got out of his car to like go get Michael Jordan's uh, autograph, <laughs> and, mm. and MJ, you know, after signing the autograph, just speeds away because I think he knew he opened the floodgates for uh, <laughs> more fans uh, to to get autographs from him. So he got the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have mentioned that. No one has ever free Peter before, especially uh... Uh, not 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 before. Bill Russell had and a bunch oh. of those Celtics, but like Bird and Magic, you know, those guys were considered like the best players at the time. And yeah, like you know, and a lot of the comparisons back in the day was that you know Michael Jordan would never be Magic, and you know we never say that now because you know and not, neither one of them uh, three Peter, and honestly neither one of them were the defenders that uh that MJ was so. You know, like after that three P, you know, he basically had achieved everything he ever wanted, and he was actually even considering retiring in '92. But he, as he mentions in the doc, he just wanted he just wanted that over uh, Bird and Magic because he's a psychopath, basically. Let's see. So, going back to baseball, uh, the documentary mentioned that Jordan got a lot better towards. Uh, the end of the season sadly uh the mlb uh had a strike and uh decided to put in uh replacement games uh which allowed uh minor league baseball players to play in major league base uh baseball games i believe that's uh how it worked um kind of ended there for that uh baseball bit uh it moved on to how the bulls were during the season where michael was gone so Critics and uh, coaches claim that uh, the triangle offense that uh, Phil Jackson had uh, wasn't viable anymore because uh, Jordan wasn't there. And at this point, the star player was Pippen. And also that uh, Tony Kukoc came uh, from Croatia, I believe, right? Yes. yes. Uh, came from Croatia to the Bulls. Uh, funny enough, after you know Jordan leaves, uh, people say he had pretty great offense but his defense was pretty bad uh moving on uh during the 94 eastern conference semifinals uh game three against the knicks pippen was pretty pissed that uh kukoc will get the final shot and uh pretty much said no i i'm not playing uh Kukoc eventually, you know, got that final shot and actually won the game for them. Uh, but it kind of left a sour taste in uh, the team's mouth. And uh, the person who stood up was Bill Cartwright. Funny enough, uh, is from Sacramento. Uh-huh. Yes, Sacramento legend. Uh, he stood up and tells Pippen how uh, disappointed he was that and uh, that uh, the team needed him. And uh, Pippen eventually, you know, apologizes to his teammates afterwards and kind of breaks down crying. And 
yeah, like that moment is it's pretty surreal to me. I don't I, like I've never I could never imagine like a star like just saying I'm not going to I'm not going to go back in. The closest thing that I could think of is the Rodney Hood play, the Rodney Hood what he did I think 2 years ago in 20 in the 2018 playoffs. I think it was against the Raptors. He refused to come back in. And he got quite a bit of shit after that. Uh, another mm-hmm. moment that I can think of, although he did come back into the game, uh, LeBron in his first year back in uh, Cleveland, uh, basically David Blatt drew up a play for him to basically inbound the ball. LeBron said no, and it instead just just says fuck it and just makes a play of his own, just catches the ball, shoots it over Jimmy Butler for the game winner because he's LeBron James and he says fuck you. Which is kind of what I feel. Uh, which is kind of what I feel. Um, Pippen should have done, like just say, you know what, just catch the ball and then just hit, a, just try and hit a game winner, I guess. But you know, like this kind of broke the Bulls in a way because after this moment, the the team kind of didn't really trust Pippen anymore to be their leader, and it really doesn't help that actually, ironically, Kukoc actually hits the shot and wins the game. But that basically made it so. Like, yeah, um, Pippen just walked out on his team. Had Kukoc missed that shot, you know, Pippen would have, would have been a lot more justified in not going out there, but they end up winning the game. And, of course, um, they go – basically, Cartwright has this talk and says, you know, like, you know, leaders don't do that. And, again, this moment kind of broke the Bulls, although they did go on a pretty good run and honestly probably could have gone to the finals had – you know, had the bad call in game five not happened, but you know, what ha- whatever happens, happens. And um, basically uh, they end up losing. And the next year they actually end up kind of sucking. Although a, a lot of it was due to injuries and Horace Grant leaving the team. But again, they, again, the team just didn't really trust Pippen to be that leader anymore. And, you know, and crazily enough, Pippen said if he had a chance to do things differently, he wouldn't, which is pretty crazy, in my opinion. Yeah, so they don't uh, end up making it to the finals, and they really don't recover from this event until MJ comes back. So then the doc cuts to 19, back to 1998, and uh, <clears throat> and. Basically, the Bulls are going up against the Nets, and um, basically, they actually they end up sweeping the Nets. But in Game One, they went to overtime, and uh, basically, the media was going was kind of going like, "Oh my God, the Nets took them to overtime. The, the the Bulls are done. The Bulls are done. They don't got it. They don't have it anymore. They're not going to win the championship." And and then the next two games were blowouts. But the fact that like the media made a big deal about just um just the bulls just not completely destroying the nets and you know how dare they like have a close game against the nets like i i see that hot take city is not a new thing yeah it it was pretty bad times already for the media at that time especially you know just just being the psychopath that uh Michael Jordan is. I'm not. I'm kind of surprised he didn't. Or, he didn't order a hit on one of on some of these journalists. <laughs> well, he has to keep that pristine image uh, in a way. I guess, but like, boy, like I, I don't want to imagine how frustrating it is back then. To end this episode of episode seven, not this podcast. Teammates comment that Jordan wasn't nice 
and was difficult to work with. But I mean, you couldn't be around that kind of guy because, you know, basketball was his life. Uh, the documentary interviewer asked Jordan if he was perceived as, you know, that kind of guy uh, due to uh, after all these years of basketball. Jordan comments that the players, you know, haven't been through what he's been through. And they show clips of him, like, struggling during the late 80s uh, throughout his basketball career. Um, people say he wasn't nice, but that's because, you know, they never won anything, according to Jordan. Uh, he does it because of this game, and that's his mentality. And he, weirdly enough, breaks down crying after saying, if you don't want to play that way, you don't have to play that way. Yeah, just <laughs> it is kind of weird how he got emotional in that moment, just because, like, I don't think he got that emo that emotional talking about his dad. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't really get deep into it. Maybe it's, it was just that rough, like that he didn't want to talk about it. But kind of weird how he got emotional there. But him being a rough teammate, it's not a it's not a very it's not a unique thing to him. Like all the great players to some any all the great teams to some degree have a guy like Jordan who's a hard ass and you need to you need to be that way to win a championship. Magic Johnson was not exactly like a amazing to be around larry bird would criticize his teammates straight to their face in the media and like you know um all championship teams have that kind of if you will asshole up, up, like in on that team like the warriors have draymond uh the spurs had greg popovich who's very rough on his on a, on his uh players and you need to be that way and michael jordan does it in a way that he wants his teammates to get better like there's a lot of, about him and Scott Burrell, like him being really mean to Scott Burrell, but he, Scott Burrell and him both know like it's it's because he wants uh, them, to, Scott Burrell, to be to be a better player. So I think it's I think it's fine. You know, you have to be that kind of person and player to be able to uh, win championships. Yeah, it's very understandable. Let's see. I guess moving on to episode eight oh, yeah. of the documentary. Uh, they show that during the 98 Eastern Conference semifinals, uh, Game 2, which was against the Hornets. And at this point, B.J. Armstrong, who was a former Bulls, is uh, now a Hornet. And uh, due to this, Armstrong kind of knew uh, Jordan and Phil Jackson's kind of offense and defensive uh, schemes. So he pretty much has a great game. And... Uh, he talks crap to Jordan, I, I guess. I, I don't remember if he just stared at Jordan, but I think he, yeah, I think it said like he actually he, talked, said something to Jordan and pissed him off. He, he kind of made it, or he made it so Jordan saw him that uh, he was boasting against him. Yeah, well, yeah, basically he was, it, it was like one of the biggest plays, biggest moments of his career other than, you know, winning those championships. And it's understandable why he celebrated. I get it. And unfortunately, it, it lit a fire in uh in, in Michael. Let's see, and pretty much, you know, Jordan locked him down in the next few games and uh, pretty much won that series. Yeah, but it was uh, a good run while it lasted, right? <laughs> <laughs> like about, you know, a game. Let's see. Moving on, there was a, another clip of a March nineteenth, ninety three game, uh, where the Bullets played the Bulls again. Well, not again, but uh, 
they show uh, a Bradford Smith. Do you know who a Bradford Smith is? No. Uh, I've heard of his name, but I don't know who he is. So, yeah, pretty much a nobody. And, yeah, so this is one of those weird... Uh, so, yeah, LeBrafer, the story of LeBrafer Smith. I think it was first told by um, David Aldridge. And, basically, LeBrafer Smith, a, a, a rookie who was drafted by the Washington Bullets, this was one of those weird games where, basically, they played... The Bulls played the Bullets in Chicago, and then on the next day, they would play in Washington again. Like, literally a back-to-back, but, like, you know, they have to travel. So basically, uh, yeah, LeBradford scores thir- scores 37 and apparently says nice game to MJ. Bulls actually win that game, but MJ is pissed. So the next game, he decides to just light his ass up and scores uh, 36 points in the first half. And later on, I think a few years later, apparently reporters ask him, hey, did LeBradford actually say anything to you? And apparently MJ just kind of smiles and says, no, nah, I made that shit up. <laughs> yeah, no, pretty funny stuff. Yeah, it's it, it shows you the kind of just how how much of a psychopath this man is. Like, yeah, let's see. I guess moving on. Uh, this is kind of like the running theme of this documentary, where they kind of go back and forth throughout time. Kind of fits the kind of topics that they talk about, but um, and, and like also of just people talking shit to Michael Jordan and it not ending well for that person. So uh, pretty much during the uh, MLB strike, uh, Jordan decides not to play any games, uh, the, you know, the replacement games that uh, the MLB wanted. So during this time, BJ Armstrong invites Jordan to basketball practice and kind of, you know, tells Jordan that he's out of shape and or not out of shape, but out of basketball shape and claims that he could beat him in basketball now. In one-on-one, but, you know, Jordan being Jordan still has that touch and wins against B.J. Armstrong. This kind of, you know, helped Jordan come back to that basketball groove. And apparently oh. apparently, he only, like, B.J. Armstrong was in full basketball gear. Like, he had basketball shoes on, he had the sweats on, you know. He, and apparently, Michael Jordan was, like, essentially in street clothes and apparently wearing loafers. And he still beat B.J. Armstrong, despite not really playing basketball for, for like, about, like, a year at that point. And, you know, again, not in basketball shape. And he somehow beat a professional player because he's just that damn good. Yeah, it's some crazy stuff that Jordan was. See, at this point... The year prior, Horace Grant left in free agency to Orlando. Jordan also started to wear the number 45 because, you know, that was a number he started out with in high school uh, when he played uh, baseball and basketball, I believe. Um, he was rusty at first, but eventually kind of picks up to that normal Jordan self later on in the season. Let's see. Documentary jumps to the 95 Eastern Conference semifinals, which is against Orlando. Uh, first game, Jordan couldn't clutch. Uh, in game two, uh... Let, let's talk. Let's talk about that play. Basically, Nick, um, Jordan kind of. So the Bulls back in the day, they don't really do this anymore. But like they would inbound in the backcourt, and the Bulls were up one, and they inbound in the backcourt. Jordan brings the ball up. Uh, Nick Anderson kind of just sneaks up behind him and just steals it in a very kind of move that you wouldn't 
that you would never expect to see. It's a very kind of playground-esque move that you just don't see with pros. Basically, he steals the ball, and it leads to a fast break where Horace Grant dunks it for for the game winner. And uh, Michael Jordan proceeds to turn it over on the next play, and basically that's the game. And basically, after the game, Nick Anderson says, oh, uh, number 45 just doesn't move like uh, number 23. And and again, with the theme of this, with the theme of this episode, don't ever talk shit to Michael Jordan. Don't do it. <laughs> yep. Let's see. So game two, instead of wearing the number 45, Jordan wears number 23, like you said. Uh, he it's claims... almost like Superman putting on his cape type thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Immediately turns back into Michael Jordan. Yeah. Uh, according to Jordan, uh, he kind of he wanted to be that um, number twenty three. He was a few years prior, and in this game, he plays a lot better, a lot better. But uh, sadly enough, uh, Orlando does win the series. Uh, let's see. A jump cut to. Uh, summer of 95 and you know like before you get into the space jam well the uh, space jam stuff the summer and you know just like you know a normal human being would kind of maybe go home and cry about it and probably like be deflated nope jordan that's not jordan's game jordan just straight up went straight to the weight room and started training right Mm -hmm. there and oh that's right he is a psychopath he he wants to uh, get back to that basketball shape. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of notes that <laughs> I left off here. It's fine. Uh, let's see. Speaking of uh, the ninety summer of ninety five, uh, he was filming uh, Space Jam, and uh, at the same time he wanted to you know kind of work out as well, and he couldn't do you know filming and workout and playing basketball at the same time, so. Uh, WB eventually builds this like gym for him called the Jordan Dome, and uh, Jordan films all day, and he plays an average of three hours of basketball, along with a uh, gym at the same time. Uh, so at this gym, the Jordan Dome, he uh, invites pretty much the best players to uh, pick up games, uh, all street ball, no officials. Uh, what I saw was, let's see, Juwan Howard, uh, Reggie Miller, Patrick Ewing, Dennis Rodman, pretty much all the best players. During this point of time, he also kind of, you know, observes and kind of does like scouting reports to, you know, kind of get the feel of how each player kind of plays the game. And this kind of plays a factor into, uh, I guess you could say next season. Yeah, like a lot of well, unfortunately, Kenny Smith wasn't in this. wasn't in this, but I remember hearing Kenny Smith talk about he really regrets going to that camp because it it basically got he basically helped like Jordan get back into the game. And yeah, so that's and just the the fucking psychopath. Like, just he films for basically twelve hours and somehow still plays basketball for three hours after that and somehow also fits in a workout in between like i've done i've done like runs where like they last like three hours and i am like dead afterwards this guy does it after filming filming a movie and like after a workout and just again but michael jordan this just really shows that michael jordan really isn't 
Yeah, it's, and yeah, and he's kind of and on top of that, he also like you know almost takes mental notes. Essentially, somehow still like you know in that mindset where he's trying still trying to get better at basketball. Yeah, it's it's incredible, right? He is. He is. <laughs> I don't even know what to describe him. Yeah, and it's you know it really adds to you know the legend. And you know I didn't grow up you know watching Michael Jordan, but this this document documentary like really kind of introduces uh, us to like you know Michael Jordan. And you know we'll, we'll get into this debate probably at some point. But like that you know just watching LeBron, I I, I don't see how he matches MJ. You want to talk about Steve Kerr? Oh, Steve Kerr. Yeah. So, uh, so Steve Kerr. Um, so th- there's another segment in here where, like, basically Steve Kerr is uh, base. It's a, it's about the Steve Kerr punch story, and uh, Steve Kerr is kind of ri- I don't remember the specifics, but like he riles up MJ somehow, and it basically culminates in Steve Kerr kind of giving giving a punch to uh, Michael Jordan in the chest. And then Michael Jordan retaliates very, uh, let's say, diplomatically by punching him straight in the face, in the eye. And basically, he gets kicked out of practice. Michael Jordan, that is. And basically, he, I kind of just theorize, I guess they don't really say this in the documentary, but like that moment kind of earned the respect of Michael Jordan for Steve Kerr. And Steve and this is kind of where, like you know, he kind of earned uh, Michael Jordan's trust. And I think this, without this moment, is kind of where my theory is is about. Is that without this moment, uh, Michael Jordan does not pass him the ball in '97, and they don't win that. They don't, you know, Steve Kerr doesn't hit that game winner. We'll probably get that in uh, episodes nine and seven. I'm going to predict the future right now. <laughs> Yeah, we shall see. Let's see. So, an- another segment. Now it's the 96 year. They win a whopping 72 and 10 record, which at the time was the pretty much the record. Uh, it has been broken since, but uh, we don't talk about it. So. Yeah, wait, let's, let's not talk about that, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. So the 96 Eastern Conference Finals rolls around. It's against Orlando again. Uh, but by the way, in a perfect kind of they, I mean, like they predicted the future. You, you remember like the the slogan they had uh, that for like for their playoff run. Oh yeah. I don't remember the exact phrasing, but it's like it's not it's not really a thing without a ring. Yeah, it's. <sighs> Oh. That, that's perfect. But if you guys don't know, we're referring to the Warriors run. So yeah. the Warriors did not win the championship that year in a heartbreaking defeat in seven. And so I need to rewatch that segment to know that uh rhyme. Yeah, nope. I, I think I think that was what it seventy two and ten isn't really a thing without a ring, I think is the phrasing. Yes. Yeah, I don't remember. Something like that. Yeah. So yeah. Pretty much, let's see, 96 Eastern Conference Finals against Orlando again. Uh, let's see, they pretty much swept Orlando. Uh, kind of killed them. And during the series, uh, during the series, Rodman actually guards Shaq for good stretches and essentially shuts him down 
for those for those few stretches. And of course, he didn't really like you know shut him down, quote unquote. But he was just he pushed him out just far enough so that Shaq couldn't get a shot, get his shot, and also like they would double team the ever loving shit out of uh, Shaq too. And it, and they basically neutralized him for like certain stretches, and it was pretty amazing to watch because Dennis Rodman is you know six seven or seven eight inches like shorter than Shaq and a good hundred pounds lighter, and seeing him be- being able to like handle Shaq's strength is pretty crazy. And uh, about the seventy two and ten record, this was a year where there were a bunch of expansion teams, and a lot of teams were able to kind of draft players from different teams so it kind of watered down the league a little bit which did kind of help the bulls get that 72 and 10 record although one of the expansion teams the toronto raptors did actually beat the bulls uh and handed them one of their 10 losses that year so you know there's that little nugget yeah very interesting fact see so to end this episode eight it shows the 96 finals versus the Seattle Supersonics. Remember them? No. No, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't remember them. They don't deserve it. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's not go there. Let's not go there. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Bulls were up 3-0 and at this point. Uh, but Gary P- Payton, I believe, or was it George Carl, decided to put Gary Payton on Jordan? Or as Michael Jordan would call Gary, yeah, him, uh, Gary who? So Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Gary Payton pretty much guards uh, Jordan for the next two games and uh, pretty much wins the next two games. And uh, in the documentary, the glove claims that if he guarded Jordan in the first three games that there wouldn't, or it would have been the same outcome anyways. And uh Jordan kind of laughs at it and says, yeah, the glove wasn't a problem for him. Yeah, so, like, he basically just says, like, you know, the outcome probably ends up being the same and that the Bulls probably win, but, like, they might have forced, like, a game seven or something like that. But, uh, and I'll I'll get into it. Basically, I, you know, I decided to just kind of watch uh, some clips because I've always heard the legends of of just like Gary Payton locking up uh, Michael Jordan those final three games. And, you know, I went to go look at the tape, to be fair, very grainy footage on YouTube of uh, games three, five, and six, and not three, five, four, five, and six. Like, and don't, and don't get me wrong, he plays very good defense on Michael Jordan for the most part. He forces him out of his spots. Like, Jordan is catching the ball at the three point line quite a bit. But Jordan is still, like, blowing by him a lot of the time. And also, like, and this is this is all credit to Gary Payton, too. Like, Gary Payton would fo- angle him into, like, these double teams a lot. But in between all of that, like, he would constantly get blown by. Like, Michael Jordan would cut back door. And so, but my kind of conclusion with that is, doesn't really do that good on, doesn't really do that good on MJ. Although the stats do support uh, Gary Payton's case, Jordan shot terrible those last three games, like forty percent or something like that. And yeah, but uh, overall, I don't think Gary Payton did that much to him, to be honest. Uh, so that's my kind of verdict on him. Uh, the segment also kind of details a uh, George Carl pissing, you know, pissing off, uh, pissing off uh, Michael Jordan by 
basically not saying hi to him at a uh, restaurant because uh, apparently George Carl, I didn't know this, uh, is from North Carolina and actually went to, I think, was an assistant coach or something like that at uh, North Carolina. But basically, he knew Michael Jordan, and he decided not to say hi to Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan t- took that as disrespect and as a, as how basically as George Carr talking shit to him. And as we have established, you do not talk shit to Michael Jordan. And he t- proceeds to basically go up 3-0 against them, completely dominate them the first few mm-hmm. games. So. Uh, also, another little funny tidbit. Uh, there are a lot of people that I've heard, um, a lot of kind of people who kind of were Bulls fans back then said Dennis Rodman should have won the finals MVP that year because he was very crucial in during those games. And, you, you know, if, if you kind of look at some, uh, there's an interview, there's a few interviews where George Carl credits uh, Dennis Rodman a lot for being just the absolute bane of their existence because he will grab so many offensive rebounds and in crucial moments too, that actually won them like those, like pretty much three games. And yeah, he was crucial to this to this uh, run. And but I doubt like the M- the NBA would have like allowed that to happen, like Dennis Rodman winning the Finals MVP because you know Dennis Rodman is a character, and I doubt the David Stern in particular would have wanted him to represent be a figurehead for for the nba so you know Mm -hmm. and of course michael jordan like i heard a joke today on a podcast basically saying that michael jordan probably would have just said cut the ceremony and just just challenged dennis robin to a one-on-one for the trophy (laughs) had he won it so pretty much to wrap up this episode eight of the documentary uh it was a game on father's day which was this was a pretty pivotal game because, you know, Jordan lost his father, James Jordan, uh, years prior. And uh, they won this game, which kind of, or pretty much, you know, they won the finals on this day. And uh, they show a bit where in the locker room, uh, Jordan kind of breaks down crying. Yeah, it's kind of surreal looking at it. Like, you know, I kind of, I kind of had a feeling about it and it's just like, wow. You know, just being able to win it on Father's Day and yeah, just him literally sobbing in the locker room. It was pretty surreal to watch. It was a big day or big, what do I say? Big day for him. It sounded like a mix between gay and game. And somehow I, you somehow merged those words. I don't, I, I don't know how that's possible. I, I, I don't even know what I was trying to say there. <laughs> well, yeah. So yeah, big, big moment. And that's kind of how the, uh, that's kind of how the episode ends. You know, they also preview the uh, Pacer series. Yeah, Reggie mm-hmm. Miller. Yeah, that guy. And, and you know, I I don't know what to think of Reggie Miller. He's kind of a he's definitely an insufferable prick in some ways. But uh, I I've got excited for for next week to see uh what what they make of uh Reggie Miller. Yeah, we shall see. Okay, and that basically ends it for the last dance. Uh, hope you kind of hope you guys kind of like this format where we basically recap the whole thing. I don't you know. Uh, do you think we should maybe just kind of just do a bit, bit more unstructured next episode where we just talk about the certain points as opposed to recapping the whole thing? Yeah, we probably should have done that. I mean... I mean, like, it's, it's still fun to kind of go through everything. Yeah, I, I kind of didn't think this through when I wrote these notes. I mean, I, I, I it was thought... really good notes. It was, like, detailed and everything, so... Yeah, I, I mean, I thought... 
a lot of point. There were a lot of points throughout the documentary that were pretty crucial in kind of like showing how Jordan was during those times. Yeah, and of course, like as as I said in the beginning of the pod, we we didn't grow up with Jordan. Like we were like mm-hmm. we, we're still we're relatively young guys. We won't give our age, but um, like we're yeah. we're pretty young, and we didn't grow up with uh jordan and it's actually really cool to actually watch this documentary to like see that to kind of just see like what the landscape was like and the media context and everything just how good mm-hmm. mj was again I, it's not fair to compare him to lebron just yet because lebron is still hasn't retired but i don't see lebron ever overtaking mj no i don't think so either yeah we'll have to see like how his career ends up i you know they they had a real chance to win it this year the lakers but, but mm-hmm. I think even then, it, 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 he probably wouldn't have been able to overcome that or overcome MJ. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that is a real debate on Twitter, and it's actually pretty frustrating reading it. But, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, but that that's a discussion for another day. Um, some just kind of miscellaneous stuff that kind of came out during the, during the between this episode and the next episode. So, apparently, uh, Kings even posted a, this on their Instagram. I thought it was a joke, but... They actually posted it on their Instagram. So uh, Kings apparently would have drafted Kobe Bryant number 14th in the 96 draft. For those that you don't <sighs> that don't know, uh, Kobe Bryant was drafted number 13th by the Hornets, who subsequently traded him to the uh, Lakers for Vlade Divac and I think some stuff. I don't remember the specifics about it, but yeah, so could have had him. Could have had Kobe. Could have. And the thing is, the Hornets didn't want him. Like they, uh, before Jerry West actually called, like they they weren't thinking about drafting Kobe. So, fucking Jerry West. I love Jerry West, but you screw you screw the Kings. <laughs> you know, just to keep on the theme of you know draft picks. Um, so I vote. Dame is one of my favorite players. Damian Lillard, that is. And I've always kind of just thought, and we'll see what Luca becomes, but. Like I thought, not drafting Dame was probably the biggest mistake in the last ten years. Like just seeing just how how incremental he's been to the to the uh, Portland community, how he's kind of embraced that entire town. I I don't I see I totally see if he had been drafted to the Sacramento to Sacramento, like he would have been like just so big in the community and he would have been you know the a great leader for this team completely changed the culture and just you know just uh he would be, he would have been great in sacramento like on the court and off mm-hmm. the court and it's just one of those things where i've always just say like you know we really screwed up on that one and of course if you guys didn't know we drafted thomas robinson over him so who kind of turned out to be nothing and actually ended up on portland a few years later you know just and Apparently, uh, James Ham actually came out with an article this week, and he basically said that the um, Sac- the Kings were getting ready, were going to draft him the day before, like 24 hours before. They were like dead set on drafting him. But when Cleveland went with Dion Waiters over, uh, over Thomas Robinson, the Kings just had to pounce on that and kind of fell for the trap, fell for the bait, basically. <laughs> Boy, we have not really recovered. Well, we've recovered since, but really set us back. And in a very similar vein, uh, the next year, apparently CJ McCollum, we were going to draft CJ McCollum, uh, apparently. And uh, for some reason, we just ended up drafting Ben McLemore. And 
I love Ben McElmore. He's a really nice guy. He's a decent player, but you know, CJ is better. There, there's no debate in that. And uh, and it's just kind of one of those weird things because you know you always say like we draft for fit. I remember you saying that to me. I'm like, when? <laughs> when did we ever draft for fit? Because we <laughs> wanted point guards. We needed a point guard. You know, I know CJ plays shooting guard for Portland, but like he's 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 a point guard, really. Mm-hmm. And it's when you know, I, I'd rather we draft for fit, honestly. Like if we actually drafted for fit, we would have drafted Dave. Yeah, because our options at that point were Jimmer for dead and Isaiah Thomas, and Isaiah's really Isaiah's good, but like you know, they were trying to replace him a, a bunch of times. So yeah, that it would have been the. Uh weird time yeah <laughs> if we saw boogie with cj or dame i mean like that i i think we make the playoffs once <laughs> i hope so and yeah i because like you know just i you know dame's not an amazing passer but like he would have he would have been able to help with help boogie you know mm-hmm. and again just the intangibles that dame brings like, of course, we we probably sign him to a supermax and probably boogie too. But like, I, I'm I'm okay with that. I think. And of course, things do kind of ultimately kind of end up working out. But yeah, well, we will never know. Yeah. So, uh, then another news. Uh, Giannis Giannis was hacked. Uh, I think last week. Um, mm-hmm. and the kind. I mean, like they kind of. It actually kind of was a bit unsettling because the person who hacked him tweeted out some pretty incendiary stuff like popping out the n-word calling like chris middleton i think a bitch i don't remember the exact words but also saying he fucked aisha curry and saying he's going to the warrior somehow uh uh you know and you know <clears throat> despite saying like you know the aisha curry tweet that was funny but at the same time like a bit unsettling and you know i hope i hope they catch the guy Mm-hmm. big scum scummy move and yeah he, yeah he you know Giannis did Giannis apologized after getting his uh account back and yeah it was a very weird moment on uh twitter yeah Ooh, i remember looking at those tweets yeah and then you kind of, yeah, i mean uh, it's a good thing that everyone kind of re- a lot of people realize that it wasn't Giannis because yeah Giannis would never tweet that kind of stuff i don't think he tweets much but yeah uh okay to close out kind of basketball talk uh, so I ran into the story uh, listening to, uh, you know, the athletic podcast. Um, it was all over the place, too. Um, but apparently one of the reasons why uh, the Kings drafted Tyreek. So if you guys didn't know, Tyreek was drafted in 09. And that is the Harden and Steph Curry draft as well as Blake Griffin. And basically, uh, so the big hyped players at the time was uh, Ricky Rubio. He was basically hyped up like Luca was before, you know, Kings passed on him. You know, like Kings were very much interested in him. But apparently the reason why we went with Tyreek is that when the Kings invited him over for a dinner, for like a dinner, and they took him out to a steakhouse. And apparently when when they ordered his steak or when he was about to eat his steak, his mom cut up his steak as opposed to, you know, ricky rubio cutting his own steak like a grown man i guess and right <laughs> after that and basically the king's officials saw that and were like oh that's a red flag and we ended up not drafting him and we went with tyreek yeah that's uh... yeah so it's just kind of one of those really just weird stories um 
And where do you fall on whether we should have drafted Tyreek or Rubio? I mean, I thought Tyreek was a good pick overall at the time. Of course, we kind of screwed his game a little, and he was supposed to be a point guard, I believe. Or we played him as a shooting guard? So it was kind of weird. So the first year I was told that he, well, like from my knowledge is that like he, he played point guard for us and he was really good because he was a really big point guard. And then mm-hmm. apparently what ended up happening was people realized, oh, he can't, he can't go left. And just kind of sat on his left hand. And basically they, then they started also put, started putting like bigger players on him and he couldn't really get by them. And, you know, that's basically what happened. Kind of just people kind of figured him out, and uh, and you know, like I'm going back and forth on that pick. Of course, the right pick would have been Steph Curry, but you know, we weren't interested yeah. in Steph Curry apparently. Uh, and maybe he didn't work out for us because Steph really wanted to go to New York. But um, mm-hmm. like I kind of I'm kind of going back and forth on the Rubio pick because Rubio is a very good point guard. Like, he's not an amazing player. Yeah. He's not a good scorer by really by any metric. And, but he is a guy that is an amazing passer and definitely gets the ball to the to the right people at, at their spots. And him him paired up with Boogie would have been interesting. Yeah, that would have been an interesting combo. You know, he had a re- few really good years with a Kevin Love in Minnesota before I think injuries really fucked him up. But like he was good. Mm-hmm. Like and you know he's still he's still a very effective player in the league. Like one, he was the big acquisition over over the summer for uh, the Phoenix Suns, and one of the reasons why they were good because he can get Devin Booker the ball at his spots, he can get DeAndre Ayton the ball at his spots, and yeah, like he he's a very positive player, you know. Yeah, it would have been nice to to. Uh, I mean, the only thing is that, like the Timberwolves waited two years for him to come over, so like. Mm-hmm. That would be kind, of, and he got injured right away too. So like, and that that would be my only concern with him. Yeah, sadly, it's a bunch of what ifs now. Yeah, and we'll never know. Hey, what if we drafted Steph? Hey. Yeah. As <laughs> that little nugget, and, you know, like you know, a lot of people say like Steph probably wouldn't be Steph if he didn't if he didn't end up in Golden State and he wasn't like right next to Silicon Valley. Hey, we're pretty close to Silicon Valley too. Like, you know. <laughs> Just a couple hours just out. A couple, yeah, just a couple hours off. Like he could have been, probably would have been fine. I don't think we draft Draymond and Clay and those guys, but you know, we could have had Steph. Probably not. Had Steph. Yeah. With Boogie too. Yeah, that would be interesting. Although Boogie is the next draft, but. Oh yeah. I think we still end up getting Boogie because Warriors were not good when they first drafted uh, drafted Steph. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was just an interesting. Th- it just again depressing. I, again, I'm Dame's one of my favorite players, and I really would have appreciated Dame. Yeah, like I said, I think Tyreek is fine. Yeah. Like he had a really good rookie year and kind of flamed out afterwards. But you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, uh, so this will end our um, basketball talk. We'll move on to a bit of wrestling, and there was big news this. This, uh, this week so yeah uh, th- if you guys uh, are, aren't really interested in wrestling you know feel free to turn it off now and you know thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one but those who are going to stay uh let's talk a little money in the bank yes shall we i personally didn't watch 
on the bank. I only watch some highlights. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of break it down for you. There, honestly, you didn't miss much other than the money in the bank match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, Owen will be the one who you know facilitate this uh, talk. Okay. So I I didn't really take that many notes on th- things other than the money in the bank match because honestly, not that interesting of a show because. You know, we I, I I was just you know giddy waiting for the um, how they were going to do the money in the bank. But uh, my only real note about anything non money in the bank related was Seth Rollins has a new theme. Very, it's very similar to the Bailey theme, and uh, yeah, that's a that's really about it. And also, well, this is a bit of foreshadowing. After so, Drew McIntyre versus Seth Rollins. Drew McIntyre wins. And kind of has a very weird moment where basically Drew offers his, a handshake to Seth. And Seth actually shakes his hand, albeit very, very reluctantly. But that is mm-hmm. foreshadowing for something. That, yeah, I didn't know until, you know, the next night on Raw. <laughs> yeah, what is that something? Yeah, we will get into it. Okay, we'll get into all right. Money in the Bank match. Uh, I so I have a note here. I love how they leaned into kind of the really wackiness of it. So it starts out with everyone. So the women line up in the lobby, and the men line up in the uh, or line up in the weight room, and they have like a big schmoz. Oscar jumps off from a balcony to start the match. That was pretty cool. And like she takes the elevator, and it's just, she she is just completely just loose now. Like she's just dancing all over the place. She's dancing in the elevator. It, it was fun, and there were some fun cameos. Uh, Brother Love, that's Bruce Pritchard. If for for some people, uh, he he made an appearance coming out of the toilet. There was a segment where Carmella, Shayna, Nia, and Dana were fighting, and Dana ends up standing tall, and she unhooks a a money in the bank briefcase um and thinks that she won but then stephanie mcmahon comes in and says uh and basically tells her this that's not the real briefcase this is the money in the bank conference room the actual money in the bank briefcase is on the roof that was a very kind of weird moment i don't like stephanie mcmahon so i didn't really enjoy this segment all that much so but you know that was something notable apparently oh also there was a doink the clown cameo here that was pretty weird that, that, that now this was good there was a food fight uh so paul Heyman's just kind of enjoying himself with all this food all to himself and then the all the wrestlers it, men and women just kind of run just kind of all gathered together into in this room and they kind of freeze otis yells food fight and they proceed to have a food fight i'll be honest i was kind of waiting for brock lesnar to show up here yeah, that that'd be a pretty funny uh, cameo. Honestly, they should have teased him winning again. That actually would have been hilarious. I, I it, oh, it was one of no. like just him kind of f5ing people, and then maybe he gets tossed off the. Like, okay, well we'll get to it, but like, yeah, just something, <laughs> some just have him kind of just tease that win just to kind of mess with us. But you know, like Brock Lesnar is very expensive, so mm-hmm. maybe that's why he didn't show up. Uh, John Laurinaitis show uh, made a cameo after this um, on a scooter, I think, and then uh, Otis throws a pie in his face. Um, there, w- then there was a bra- Daniel Bryan and AJ have a brawl. They brawl into Vince McMahon's room. Uh, Vince McMahon kind of screams at them, "What are you doing?" And uh, Daniel Bryan and AJ kind of sheepishly like apologize, and then they kind of fix up the room, move the chairs back in place, and then just kind of gets out of the room. 
Okay. Now there are now then they go to the uh the roof, and basically Asuka wins the mo the women's money in the bank after kicking Baron Corbin of all people off. That was kind of weird. Um, and uh, and also like it felt it felt like half the women contestants were missing. Uh, Dana Brooks slipped and fell on the back of her head, and I guess one knocked her out for the rest of the match. Shayna Baszler wasn't there either so I, I don't remember what happened to her but yeah though i think it was those two people that were missing and oscar ends up winning as for the men's uh so baron corbin actually tosses ray and alistair black both off the roof and they just kind of they didn't really focus on it it was just kind of a throwaway moment it's later revealed that there is a plat that there they didn't really get thrown off the roof they landed on some platform like six feet away from the roof which was kind of weird um six feet it, it wasn't that far it wasn't that high up is what i'm trying to say like there was like another oh, I level i guess before you completely throw them off the roof and that was kind of a thing that I was very disappointed with i was waiting the whole entire match for them to get to the roof and someone was going off that roof <laughs> and they do like a dramatic oh shot of it and just like a kind of like a final scene where like it's in slow motion there's like sad music playing and stuff and maybe, maybe like they tease brock lesnar winning and and someone maybe tips over the ladder and he falls off the roof and that, that that was a missed that was a missed opportunity sure that'd be pretty funny yeah that, i mean that'd be, that'd be that would have been great but you know yeah opportunity. <laughs> um so that so the match ends when Baron Corbin and AJ Styles are fighting on top, and both of them have the briefcase and actually unhook it. And I think they actually both grab onto it. And so from out of nowhere, it's not Randy Orton with an RKO. It's Elias with a guitar just hits him in the back. He basically not he he, he hits Baron Corbin in the back. And basically there's a weird smosh where I think Baron Corbin knocks it out of um knocks it out of AJ Styles's hand while he's falling off the ladder and it falls into Otis's hands. So Otis wins the money in the bank. In a very very weird finish to say the least and also I'm not sure if I agree with the Otis win even though I love Otis. Yeah, it's a very interesting win for him. I don't know what the storyline he'll uh, have for the foreseeable future. Yeah, but uh, again, I love Otis. Like, I love his storyline. Like, I love his... He's got so much charisma. He's not really a main eventer in my eyes. Maybe that changes. But as, but as it stands now, I don't I don't see him as a main eventer. But, you know, no. they, they could make him into one. But we shall see. <laughs> Yeah, we shall. And so, uh, to finally kind of close this, close our podcast, Becky Lynch uh, on Monday Night Raw comes out and vacates the title. Uh, she also reveals that the Money in the Bank briefcase that Asuka won doesn't actually con contain a contract, but instead contains a the actual women's title. And the reason why is because she is vacating the title and she, so that she can go into uh, maternity leave. And yes, she is pregnant. Congrats. Yeah, it, it really shocked me. I did, I was not expecting that. And it yeah. was, <laughs> and I've, you know, she had a, she, she did a great pro promo beforehand. And like she, it was very emotional. She's, you know, on the verge of tears basically the entire way. 
and it was a real shock when they when she announced it and Asuka Asuka hugs her and like yeah it was it was great so but this does kind of leave a question because like you know I imagine I imagine the father Seth I by the way I really hope they don't turn that into a storyline please do not turn it into a storyline basically it's going to leave a giant hole in the main event scene because they already they're already out they're they're already like short roman already roman is not gonna roman's not gonna be back for a while and now that i assume seth is the father and seth is gonna go on maternity leave with becky and that is three of your top stars just gone like that so i'm interested in where this is or how they're gonna fix that yeah that'd be it'd be interesting so, but yeah, very, very happy for uh, Becky Lynch and just, yeah, well, I, uh, again, I, I like to see whether, because they're actually doing a Seth storyline right now, but I hope it does not devolve into who is the father. You never know, Vince McMahon would be that kind of guy. Vince McMahon is that, that kind of guy and that's what I'm scared of. So it's kind of, <laughs> I just hope they keep it simple and clean. Like it's, I don't want to see, you know, like uh, Jerry Springer garbage or who or are you are not the father type moments. Oh, gosh, please don't. Can you, can you imagine if <laughs> I can't imagine and I will not, but I will not watch it. So, no, but can you imagine if inside the men's uh, money in a bank briefcase is the DNA test? Uh, uh, I was not thinking of that. You just put that in my mind. And I don't like it. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Well, let, let's just end it there. Uh, yeah. Well, thank thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll we'll catch you guys on the next one. We, we're probably going to do a, a continuation. We're probably going to capture or cover the finale of the Last Dance, right? Yeah, next week I believe it's when it's out. Yep. So. Yeah, we'll we'll do a podcast when that comes out, and uh, yeah, we'll hope to catch you guys on that one. Yeah, see, we'll see you later. Thank you guys for listening.